Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with the loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, with the, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb and each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are all the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive the power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might, forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. What a magnificent scene! What an incredible scene. It's, it's awesome to try to imagine it, isn't it? And what do you see in that, if not the absolute, utter majesty and beauty and glory of the Lord? That's our topic today as we continue our series of messages based on insurgents reclaiming the gospel of the kingdom by my friend Frank Viola. And it is a book that you can read and I urge you to read it. Copies are available in the church library. You can find it in many places and in many formats. So please make use of it. But in the meantime, I will do my best to interpret my friend's landmark work so that we can apply it here, so that we can experience it right now as we become a beautiful, amazingly productive and generative insurgents. 
in a world of decay and chaos and oppression and death. Whenever the Bible talks about Jesus or talks about God the Father or talks about the Holy Spirit, the word glory inevitably comes up, doesn't it? Glory, like no other word, describes something that's too big for us to put a word to it. To, to describe glory is to basically try to put words to the jaw-dropping awe that you feel in a particular situation. I found myself in a situation like that many years ago when I was backpacking with a good friend in the Pacific Northwest and we had been deep in the woods and it was overcast most of the day. And then when we came out of this deep forest of 200 foot trees that were 20 feet in diameter, this magnificent deep dark forest gave way to a meadow on a mountainside and the sun had come out and the sky was as blue as it could be and above me was white capped snow covered mountains and below me was the rushing and roar of mountain rivers and surrounded by trees and the beautiful yellow weeds of the meadow and it was so awesome and so awe-inspiring that I just stood there with my jaw dropped and just took it all in. And I remember my friend who was a gifted smart aleck said, it's not that pretty. But then he was responding after all to what I was unable to describe and he saw it on my face. And even that doesn't come close to describing what glory means in particular as it applies to the glory of the Lord. We have, I think, today tasted a little bit of that glory with the help of the Holy Spirit and all the various gifts that have manifested today with the Holy Spirit's help in our worship thus far, to where we get just a hint of what it must be like in that throne room in the presence of God the Father and the Son and all the angels, even the least among heaven's angels, commands our awe. And so it's no wonder that John, the apostle, found himself in that situation weeping because of his inability to comprehend how this could get any greater with the opening of those seals on that scroll. And that's where he had to be comforted and reminded that Christ is the one who makes all of it happen, that even makes him worthy of the experience that he's having. In fact, John was invited there by Christ himself. And so this is the beauty of our king. This is the majesty of our king. We've talked already through this series of messages about the importance of recognizing that the true gospel is the gospel of the kingdom of Christ. It's a gospel that proclaims in no uncertain terms that this Christ, this God, this glorious spirit, this heaven has been made manifest on earth in Jesus Christ and open to us who are really unworthy, who are utterly and completely unworthy. We're no different than John in that experience, or 
Let's look at another scripture. I'm, I didn't tell you I was going to do this, Katrina, so it's okay, but I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 6, and I'm going to start at verse 6, and you can just listen to these words. Isaiah had a very similar experience to the one that John describes in Revelation. Isaiah said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, in some translations, with glory. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And, and I said, woe is me. I think he said, did you feel that? And then he said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When you came to saving grace, when you embraced the Lord Jesus as your Savior, it must have been preceded, at least for a moment, by that same sensation, I think. It was for me like that. Holy smokes, I said to myself. <laughs> you look at that scene, if that's not a picture of holy smokes. You got to go back to what I read earlier to get that. And then it dawns on you, just as it did for John, just as it did for Isaiah, I shouldn't be here. <laughs> I should not be here. I don't belong here. And, and this is the part you don't want to miss, okay? Pay close attention. In the midst of that glory, the reason you feel like you shouldn't be there is not because of fear. Okay? It's not because you're thinking... You know, like, like, I don't know, let's say you're standing on the train tracks or you're standing at the end of the runway or you're standing in the middle of the highway and you go, I shouldn't be here. That's not what this is, okay? This is, I don't deserve to be here. It's a totally different idea. I don't deserve to be here. I don't belong here. I don't fit in. I see the glory of God all around me. I see the train of his robe and it fills the temple with glory, but there's this one black spot and it's me. There's this one dark shadow contaminated by sin and it's me and I don't belong here. I shouldn't be here. And it's it's the awe of that glory. It's the awareness of the perfect goodness of God that makes you feel that sense of unworthiness. Now, when that starts to come together in your mind, you're getting it. Then you're like Isaiah and you say, I don't belong here. But look what happens to Isaiah, verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the tongs of the altar. And this means the very holy, this is like a picture of the Holy Spirit, okay? 
And he takes that Holy Spirit and he touches his mouth and says, Behold, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And then I heard a voice of the Lord say, the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, Lord, send me. Look what happens in an instant. He goes from knowing that he is completely unworthy of being there because of his sin, because of the blackness of his soul. He, he's aware that even the angels have to cover their eyes in the presence of God's glory. And he says, what am I doing here? And then an angel says, but the spirit of the Lord is upon you now. And because of that, you are worthy. And as soon as he's made worthy, the voice of the Lord says, now I'm ready to send my servant into the world of the people of unclean lips, into the world where the blackness is all around us, where the darkness reigns. Don't mistake the fact that the coals are light. And Isaiah's response is, send me, please send me, put me in coach. I'm ready to play. Right? It goes instantly from I'm not worthy to be here to give me the ball. Right? This is what Jesus has done for you. You want to try to figure out the beauty of the Lord. The beauty is incomprehensible because it's not just a visual thing like I described in the mountains. It's not just a uh, a, a beautiful song or something that is intoxicating to the senses. It's the beauty of the Lord for the amazing grace of the Lord. The love is the beauty that is an intangible thing you can't put words to. I think of it this way because when I was in my early teens, you know, I was in love with a lot of girls and I didn't know what love was in those days, but I do remember the intoxicating experience of being loved. <laughs> do you remember your first love? Do you remember when you were very, very young and, and the boy or the girl of your dreams returned the love? Albeit immature, childlike love. Wasn't it absolutely like a drug. <laughs> it, just, it just turned you into a silly, giddy fool. <laughs> right? What love. Like you'd never experienced because you had become mature enough to desire and crave the attention of the opposite sex or whatever the experience was for you when that moment came and you felt that tremendous love in your heart. And, and here's the thing, it probably didn't come as much from the object of your affection as it did the part of you that was so hungry for love, right? You know, we have a tendency as human beings when we're young, to make all the glorious things more glorious in our imagination. And we have a tendency when we get old to make the ugly things uglier in our imagination. 
And it turns out most things aren't as good as they seem and they're not as bad as they seem. The way they really are is pretty awesome, but there is one exception. The way they really are that is not even close to what we've imagined, and it's the glory of God. It's the glory of God's love for us. It's the un imaginable, staggering gospel of Jesus Christ that says, I will do all that I can to restore you to my father's house. And you have to think about that for a second because all that this glorious being that we've been reflecting on can do is more than we can even imagine. If I gave you all I had to give, it wouldn't even scratch the surface of what the Son of God has to give. The price that God the Father was willing to pay in order to welcome you into his house is more than we could even comprehend, and it's the highest price that God could pay. To really, really, to, to grasp that in all of its magnitude is to at least understand that if God is all-powerful, all-knowing, is God, if God is the creator and master and majestic genius behind everything we know and then a million things we don't understand or know, then what is the most that that person can give, that being? And then say to yourself, the next time you look in the mirror and you're feeling a little down on yourself, God gave everything God could to save you for his home for eternity. Now we're beginning to see the glory of the Lord in the intangible love of the Lord. The love that is beyond measure. When you think of Jesus on the cross, you can only imagine the death that he suffered and the agony that he endured. And you can kind of imagine the wrestling match or the battle that he fought with Satan and God's enemy, and you can kind of wrap your mind around that. And if you need to, you could just start there. And say, he did that for me. He did that for me. And you still don't really know how much it cost. You can't. But you know this. The glory of the Lord is shining all around you. For you. That's because he wants you in his home for all eternity. And so when John finds himself in God's throne room or Isaiah finds himself in God's throne room, they're immediately struck by their unworthiness and then they are reminded that it is God's spirit in them that makes them worthy to be there. Literally joint heirs with Jesus as we sing every week so that we are the family of God. This is why I greet you as family every week. Because you're the family of God. And that makes us brothers and sisters. Because we're going to live together in God's house for all eternity. 
And some of you need to clean up your room more often. But in the meantime, we are here in a place where we're surrounded with people of unclean lips. And occasionally our lips get a loose uncleanness about them and we have to shake them up a little bit. Brush your teeth every day with the Holy Spirit. Clean those lips. <laughs> but in the meantime, understand that it will not separate you from the Father's love anymore because you have been anointed with the Holy Spirit because you said yes to Christ's grace. And then he gave you new life. He took the dirty darkness out of you and replaced it with his glorious light. And for a time we live in a temporary state of incompleteness. As the Lord's plan continues to unfold and things continue to move inexorably towards the soon return of our Savior and the total cleansing of all things. And then the glory of the Lord will be with us and around us in all things at all times. And God's enemies will have been vanquished once and for all. And we can only guess at what it's going to be like then. But if ever you find yourself on a mountainside so awestruck that your chin is, stand, is laying on your chest and someone says, oh, it's not that pretty. Just remember, it will be and more. Because there will be no ugliness, no pollution in the air. You know, David, just occurred to me that the one thing that ruined that scene for me was after a few minutes, an airplane flew over. It was probably you. <laughs> it was almost perfect. And then a Delta jet flew right across the top of that mountain. Ah, anyway. And so let me just wrap this up. What well, my brother Frank wants you to see in this particular part of his book on being insurgents is that insurgents are people who have embraced the glory of God. They are enamored with the beauty of God. They're not just infatuated like a teenager in love. It's not puppy love. It's the kind of devotion that takes everything that you have and you wouldn't think twice. You wouldn't hesitate for a moment to suffer for the Lord, to sing praise to the Lord, to rearrange all of your priorities around his presence, his glory, his love. When he gets a hold of your life in that way, selfishness and self-centeredness can't exist very long in that company. In a way, that part of you that is still unclean is suffering. It's as though the radiance of his glory kind of burns those parts of you, and it hurts. But not, again, in fear do you say I'm unworthy, but because you are aware of how much glory there is and how little you can stand it. And you don't want that to be the way it is for the rest of your days on earth and for the rest of your eternity. So you say, Lord, I am a person of unclean lips, but here I am. Send me. Fix me. Anoint me. Use me. I can't wait to see what you do. Let us pray.
Oh, Lord, I thank you and I praise you for your word today. I thank you for the anointing of the Spirit and for your presence in our worship. And finally, Lord, I pray that we might raise up in this, faith, in this family of faith a bunch of insurgents determined to glorify you with every fiber of their being. Amen.